Good morning, everybody. It's very encouraging uh, when I see all of you and when I think about all the different ways we've hung together as a Sangha over now, what's almost getting close to a year uh, in this moment of um, pain and isolation. So we have all these different um, places where people are staying connected. The Dharma talks, the, the um, Zazen periods, the classes, there's many folks in practice groups. And um, the other night we had, you know, so many people um, coming for this, uh, this expression of of care and the form of the ethics work that's being done. So I think, um, I know I feel encouraged. I know people um, here feel encouraged and people I've talked to have felt encouraged about that. And, you know, it is, uh, it is uh, yesterday was uh, Lunar New Year for the metal ox. I happen to be a metal ox. <laughs> so yes, <laughs> I actually always didn't really like the idea that I was an ox because it seems so boring, you know, <laughs> plodding, plodding, plodding. And yet I, at this moment, I, I and I feel like our Sangha in a, in a way is embodying this metal ox, this feeling of steadfastness. You know, we're just keep going and going up one line planting seeds. Every time we come together, planting seeds, planting seeds, going down, planting seeds, planting seeds. Every time we sit down to Zazen together, every time we meet each other, every time we make an effort to um, meet our suffering. And in a way, you know, um, when maybe when we first come to Dharma practice, we think of it as very exciting. And we're maybe um, enticed by this this idea of enlightenment or an end to suffering, and it can all feel very exotic. But in a way, the practice is really one that is just a lot of work <laughs> and a lot of showing up and showing up and showing up. And when we get tired and fall down, we take a break and then we, we, we arouse, we arouse again our way seeking mind and support each other. And um, I couldn't keep going down and tilling in this way with my own practice and my own suffering alone. And even though so many of us feel alone and isolated, I think we feel in our bodies this dedication to connection and steadfast kind of plodding, maybe not so sexy effort <laughs> that we keep engaging in, you know, in a way, lifetime after lifetime together. So, uh, in talking to people and listening to people over the last couple of weeks, um, I have heard a, a kind of some themes that have been coming up around a kind of um, exhaustion, a little bit of numbing, 
or shutting down or uh, weariness. You know, it's hard to keep going. They're just um, a continual stream of heartbreaking events. We've been, um, there's so much pressure on all the systems, all our collective systems, our individual systems. And that shows up in our bodies because we're always part of those systems. And, you know, it, for me, it feels, and for others, it may feel enhanced by this cold weather in the middle of February. You know, the, the, the snow is just, it's just bitter cold. And there's ice, you know, the snow is hardened into that really relentless ice. And it's hard to figure out where their paths are. And, um, I remember last April and May when we were chanting about all the people, you know, the numbers, the COVID numbers, the people dying, and we were just moved to tears often. And now I, I look at those numbers and I just stare at a graph often. It's like our, our grief is frozen. It's just too much. So, and just a combination of things, this, um, the reminder of, of our extinction threat, you know, this Himalayan glacier that burst in India, sweeping through a village and killing all these many, many hundreds of people probably when they find everyone. And I realized in my own body, when I even see the word glacier now, no less see a picture, I have a association of a little panic and fear and aversion because this is um, associated with this threat. You know, and then, you know, so many other things, the, um, all of the people that are out of work, um, Vice President Harris, wrote an article in the Times today where she said two and a half million women have lost their jobs, are now out of the workforce, many of them women of color who were already underpaid and undervalued. Even though the vaccines are coming, they're done in such a racially disparate way. And, um, you know, Some of us have been watching how this group of mostly white men in power are equating a movement of justice with a movement of hate. I mean, these are the kinds of things that are um, in our awareness without, with barely even turning and looking. So these, um, these intensifications of pressures and, and pains and the chronicness of it really can be very impactful. And it can show up, you know, as, as someone who studies trauma in a kind of a numbing out or restlessness or depression, maybe bursts of anger. Um, and, and I just wanted to normalize that. We've been talking about normalizing that. And also there is these kinds of this sense of, of potential possibility. So, 
often um, when we're through, when we almost see the light at the end of the tunnel, we can have, um, um, it can almost feel worse because we, we, we're kind of almost starting to melt a little bit and beginning to feel what we've been through. I don't think we're quite there yet, or we may feel these kinds of bursts of grief that arise. And for me, I, I, I don't even know that they're there. You know, I think, um, you know, during Rahatsu, when I looked on the screen and saw all of you and burst into tears, you know, I didn't realize, I didn't, I had kind of normalized and kind of dismissed a certain kind of grief that I was feeling about um, not being with your bodies. And Zen is such an embodied practice. I don't, you know, it's really not about talking <laughs> at all. Very little, I feel. It's about sweeping floors together. And hanging out by the shoe rack. So what I'm always most interested in is um, thinking about uh, for myself and for the people I care for and for this world, you know, what do we do? What do we, how do we work through our um, pain? How do we work through our numbness? You know, how do we regain a sense of aliveness in the midst of so much, um, so much? So I wanted to share with you, uh, you know, <laughs> I really, I have this thing, I have, I have this little note that says, keep it simple, Laura, <laughs> today. <laughs> but I, I, love, um, I love maps, you know, and I particularly love maps of healing and transformation. So I wanted to kind of share, share something with you, you know, and, um, and as you've heard from, from my talks lately, I get in a groove around something, and I'm really in a groove around shadow. Um, and about what's hidden and what's what the polarization of um, dualities. So, you know, and I, I'm I'm watching this in myself. So I was thinking about um, Milo. You know, there's oh, there's just snow and it just looks dead and it looks like there's nothing going on. And then Milo goes out, go to the bathroom, and he is like digging his face way way deep into the snow. And I'm like what is down there? There's nothing there. It's just snow. It's dead. And yet he, there is something alive down there. He can smell and sniff out. So I think, all right, if we're feeling this kind of um, pressured intensification of pain, what's underneath? You know, what can, what can we search for that might help? What's underground? And uh, I was uh, laughing with some folks here because uh, tomorrow's Valentine's Day for what that's worth. <laughs> and I said to a few people like, oh, it's Valentine's Day. I want to give a talk about hate. And I have to say, every time I mention it, people got really excited. So clearly there's, there's a little signal of energy. And I, I think I want to talk about hate because um, of all the ways that we create uh, polarizations, you know, divisions, 
love and hate seem to be the um, one of the most significant. And um, and has a lot of lot of psychic energy to it. And it's one of the three poisons, you know, we say um, from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion. So one of the ways that um, I feel this practice is so helpful is to allow us to see the ways we create suffering by um, by holding up one thing and pushing away another thing. And we can have a tendency um, to uh, really have trouble thinking about love and hate in relationship to each other. So we may be on the division or on the side in which we are uh, kind of um, insisting on love, you know, <laughs> And I think in spiritual communities, we can, it can almost become this object. You know, we're all about love. This is about love. We're going to heal through love. And I do think that's true. And we can sit down in Zazen and feel this opening um, and feel this love. And it's genuine. And then 10 minutes later, we get up. Something comes at us and this other energy is there. At that moment, you know, what do we do? We can um, decide to make this into a problem. We could also go the other way in which we, because we've been hurt and because we've been traumatized, and because there's been so much pain and violence, we can decide that love is a very dangerous thing. And we cannot afford to allow ourselves to love. It is wrong to um, allow ourselves to love those who are evil. And so we have to hold on to our hate. We have to hold on to um, a feeling of um, this is not good and I need to push it away. And I, I want to talk about that because it's where I've actually struggled the most in my own practice is I, I, I misunderstand the teaching. You know, in the morning we take refuges and we say, um, all my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate and delusion born through body, speech and mind. I now fully avow, and I've mentioned this in my last talk, that this, um, this avow for many, many, many years, I heard it and thought about it as I got to get rid of this. I avow it. It's gone. I have to make sure I don't embody these poisons. So there's a pushing away there that we do. And um, 
as I mentioned in the last talk, uh, if you think about avowing, it's really the word avow is about acknowledging and declaring. And uh, the word vow actually has the same root as devotion. So we actually have to um, go towards and embrace and feel into our hatred. And that if we get stuck in some idea of what practice is about, we'll do this all the time with all different parts of ourselves, you know, or between us. This person is, is, is not embodying, is embodying this one thing. Mm -hmm. I, I need to, I, I have to, there have, there's a version there. So whether we are on the side of um, getting overly involved in hate in all its different forms, it could be rage, it could be irritation, it could be um, dismissal, or if, our, if, if we get overly involved in love, smoothing everything out, making it this kind of insipid Valentine's Day version of love that's very feeble, very fragile, and often almost has a, a bit of an insistence that one can form and, um, and um, embody something to make us feel comfortable. We kind of smooth things over that way. So there's this little bit of a, a little bit of a map I want to share with you about a process of how to heal splits. And mm -hmm. it's taken from um, my Gestalt training, this uh, training I have done years ago on from uh, the Gestalt therapeutic world. I think it's also a map that can be applicable to healing the splits in our, in our world in our psyches. And, um, and I do believe we go through this cycle. I, I have seen it and I watch it in myself. We wouldn't necessarily use these words in Buddhism, we might use different words, but I, I thought I would share it with you because um, it is very difficult for us to go through spiritual practice or to be with our suffering without, without splitting and putting certain things in the shadow and 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 not and so this is a process of of how to bring those together and and make things whole so the first thing is uh is this idea what what is called um the kind of fake level level or fake fake um let's say call it um it's it's like a layer we'll call it a layer so this is where we, um, we're not even aware that we're suffering. We don't even know that we've divided the world up. We just are living from this. This is good, this is bad. You know, these people are okay, this is not okay. And um, we, we then project out those things that we don't like. Uh, we might project them onto ourselves or onto others and we're not even aware of it. So we're just suffering in this way. Then when we start practice, um, 
or we, we stay with this, uh, we might begin to recognize all the ways we feel threatened in the world. And that's called the phobic layer. So we kind of start to realize our suffering, but we have this deep fear that we can't um, allow ourselves to feel or be certain ways or else we might be exiled. So this is kind of an intensification. We're starting to feel our suffering and it's uncomfortable. And we actually still have these very strong boundaries, you know, that this person is threatening. I can't let it in. I can't let this aspect of myself in. I need to hide this part of myself to others. And we work really hard to try to stay comfortable when anything starts to bump up against that or, or threaten it, you know, maybe our, our sense of being a lovable person. <laughs> and a Sangha member's like, you're not so lovable for me. <laughs> In fact, I find you quite annoying, <laughs> you know? This starts to threaten our system a little bit. We start to get stirred up. And this is actually a really good thing. So the, the uh, breaking up and the, and the coming back together, we have to, we have to um, start to stir things up. Or maybe sometimes we might sit down in Zazen and begin to start to feel those scared parts of ourselves that are, are asking to be called up and, and cared for. Mm -hmm. But we do believe something terrible will happen if, if we allow ourselves to be the way, be and address those aspects of ourselves. Maybe we start to feel love in the Sangha and that feels unbearable for us. We can't let that in. So then there's the next stage is called the impasse layer. And um, at, this, at this time, it's almost like the Zazen and the practice and life, you know, is working on us. You know, whether it's parts of ourselves we've exiled or in society, things that we have um, held at bay or tried to control or dominate are speaking up and wanting to be heard. The pain is increasing, so the pressure is increasing. And this impasse level I, I find to be really interesting and I, I, I kind of know it in myself so well. So there's something being called up and saying, I need you to step forward in this way. I need you to address this. I need you to take care of this. It's calling for compassion. And then there's the, 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 um, the, uh, the fixed view, the fixed ideas, the, the habit of no, this is unacceptable, pushing up against it. So you're kind of in this tension between the two. Maybe somebody at work is asking something of you and it's scary. I want you to please step up and, and speak in front of a, you know, in front of in front of your coworkers or something. I can't, you know, I can't, dude, I'm gonna die. You know, I'm gonna be a failure. There we go, right here. And what's wonderful is Zazen and the practice, you know, we are slowly. Um, even allowing ourselves to open up to the possibility of meeting that. And sometimes we're in a battle for a really long time, this impasse. It's kind of like um, the, the new, the, the, the growth pushing against the, um, the um, stagnation. 
But in this stage, we find ourselves still trying to control and fix things. You know, we think we're going to get out of it by changing the environment or changing other people instead of ourselves. So sometimes we can get stuck here for a minute. We can get stuck here for a decade. <laughs> uh, collectively, we can get stuck here for a very long time. But the pressure continues. And then to me, the most exciting stage is, um, is implosion. So in the impasse, the other thing I want to say is all the old ways that we try to do things start to fail. You know, maybe we, we, um, we made it our business to always try to be um, nice, you know, like I'm going to be, I'm going to nice my way through life, you know, <laughs> nice my way around everything. And it starts to fail. We kind of feel the inauthenticity of it. People are not buying it anymore. You know, so that's part of that stage. Now in the next stage is called um, implosion. I love the language of it. It's so dramatic and, and energetic. This is a place in which this is where that um, that feeling of deadness or depression starts to um, um, and and the separateness starts to really we really start to feel the pain of it. We are really now kind of um, what does Trumpa say? He says we march directly into disappointment. <laughs> we have to sit in this feeling of, I can't do it this way anymore. It's not working. I'm losing my friends. I'm feeling the pain of this separation. I feel like the more I try to dominate you know, a situation, the more I uh, feel helpless or alienate others from me. And at this part of the, of the um, practice, we just, um, we kind of get more crazy really in a way. There's like, a, almost like, a, um, you know, Trumpa talks about this a lot. There's like a, a, um, a franticness as we're trying so hard to figure out some ground and we have no ground beneath us. And this is the really big transformative moment. We can retreat back or we can stay in it, you know? I can't, we might open up to the suffering of our community, of our peoples, and there's no ground in which to fix it. We have to just sit in it. I wanted to um, share a quote from Darlene about this stage that she talks about, she says, because uh, there's the um, recognition of a kind of stability of staying in it. And this is what Zazen does. We, we kind of find this, uh, area of chi or hara that we've been cultivating this ability over time to not run away if we don't run away just stay 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 keep walking in it keep walking in it so darlene says um she speaks about the stability that even though some part of you is going oh my god there's some other part of you that's been developed that is just there it is just there and this is what you vow to return to, to get to your strength, to get to your resources while allowing some other part of you to be frantic and crazy, allowing, um, 
or she says, allowing some other part of you to be frantic and crazy. When you feel the stability, you don't care whether a part of you is crazy or not. Because the stability is there too, putting an arm around the crazy part of you. So you don't have to squelch your craziness. You can relax and enjoy the struggle itself. And um, this thing about hate, you know, I have heard so many people um, hate parts of themselves. You know, they're, they're actively working with this kind of self-hatred that is a result of, of um, pain of, trying, of, of controlling um, parts of themselves that um, we have exiled. And so there can be relief when we actually just allow ourselves to hate, <laughs> hate others, hate ourselves. Now we do this, of course, without believing the stories of it, but we release the energy of the hate. We, we, you know, we allow it to get bigger. We allow it to take over. Okay, let, my hate, let me hate myself fully, you know, <laughs> and for so many years, I would say to somebody, you know, um, when you're feeling this um, pain or this heartbreak, or I mean, this kind of struggle, when you're so cruel to yourself, can you just offer compassion? And what I what I realize may be problematic about that is that in a way, at that moment, we we can't bring compassion in yet because we haven't validated the hate. We haven't given the hate enough room to be in the room. We've, we're still exiling it in a little bit. We're kind of like trying to clean it up with the compassion and it, it doesn't really work so well in certain circumstances. It's almost like we have to, we have to fully let what's underground come up. And um, this has happened to me so many times. I just, some part of me just gives in. It's like, okay, I suck. I, I'm horrible. This is horrible or they're horrible. I hate them. It's kind of like that, you know, when a little kid is like, I hate you. <laughs> I hate this. <laughs> then the aliveness starts to come. Ah, <sighs> I don't have to fight against this feeling. And so um, this is, so energetically we can begin to do that. Or I give in, I'll let in the love. I surrender. So there's a surrendering, a relaxing that starts to happen. And a sense of humor. You know, sometimes we kind of lighten up a little bit at this moment. And this compassion is just naturally arises <clears throat> because if the hate is big enough, we can start to feel the pain of it. Wow, there is so much pain. I have been under this kind of insidious hate that I didn't realize. Now I know I've had this beast on top of me beating me up, you know? And then the compassion creates a space and then the intuitive wisdom, the wisdom comes in and there's a relaxation and then what's called, we call in this model called the explosive stage, we might call insider realization. Something shifts and settles with, the, with no more struggling. There's, there's like, um, Tibetans call this like a, this idea of a mother and child reunion. You know, the hate and the love can go together. Doesn't have to be one at the expense of the other. 
It's not a love that defends against hate. We miraculously, for a moment, or maybe we find ourselves reconnected with our aliveness with others. There's a relaxation and then the whole kind of wild ride drops down and everything is kind of quiet and simple. You know, it's like, oh, now I'll go eat lunch. <laughs> ah, there's room to see what might be needed around a particular situation. Maybe there's an energy I, I want to. Um, now I have energy because I'm not fighting myself. I'm not fighting life. Energy devoted to caring for the world, caring for um, some suffering there, responding to something. Maybe there's more authenticity, a feeling of no longer having to kind of um, fake some part of you. And um, often I, I have found there's um, a release of grief. The grief can arise now and open into this space. Or the, ener yeah, the energy of um, that anger is transformed into this kind of um, precision and possibility for response. And in this process, um, we have to hold at the same time, both the vastness, you know, we need kind of resources with us. So we need clearly patience and faith, you know, here I am and knowing where we're at, like I, I I love this map and I've been through this so many times, I kind of know where it's going, what makes it worse and what makes it better. What makes me go backwards so I, I, I'm back and stuck in a, a more painful spot than moving through. So um, in those moments maybe of impasse or uh, implosion, we call on our, we know we, we call up our elder wisdom, we try to have perspective on where we at. You know, we, we, we ask support from our teachers, or our, 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 our Dharma brothers and sisters, friends, help me, you know, maybe they might remind you, like, it's okay. So thinking about, um, that we're not alone in this and, it, and that, that um, this throughout lifetimes we can look historically, there have been moments of kind of implosion and explosion and transformation through intensification of pressures that then release if we skillfully navigate them as peoples. So there's this kind of vast perspective that we hold while we go through this process. And there's also particularity to the intimate, how it shows up in very intimate ways. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can say this is like the Bodhisattva, again, the Bodhisattva training. This is a training in this process. of opening. And trying to heal all the ways that we have um, created the sense of 
division in our minds and bodies and hearts. And then each time we go, we kind of gain a strength there too. So as many people have talked about during this time, there's been a lot of resilience. There's been a lot of strength building. There's been a lot of um, clarifying of information and, and letting go of things that are false or habitual and useless or destructive. So it's also a very rich moment to be in if we can continue in this process wisely together. And I appreciate this, this model because we really have a tendency to think that when things are neat and clean and calm or, you know, um, harmonious, you know, uh, we're good. You know, and when they're messy and difficult and challenging, it's bad. As opposed to this is how life is. We have so many splits to heal in this world and in ourselves and in our Sangha. We can kind of have confidence around that, that we can work with them. I'm gonna end with two quotes, one from Trumpa. He says, um, he talks about this in terms of a renunciation so we're renouncing in a way, um, holding on to just one side, we're entering into this process. He says, renunciation is not just throwing away, but having thrown everything away, we begin to feel the living quality of peace. And this particular peace is not feeble peace, feeble openness, but it has a strong character, an invincible quality, an unshakable quality because it admits no gaps of hypocrisy. It is complete peace in all directions. You know, when we don't throw things into the shadow and other, we, we, can, we, can, we can work with life. Maybe we can have compassion and patience for other people's process and where they're stuck, you know, maybe they're stuck in impasse or they're, they're defending against um, feeling something. That's okay. Can we trust that they're on their path of liberation too? May not look the way we want it to look or feel good for us to be in this process with them. But this is, we have to have faith and trust in this. So I wanted to end with, um, a, a little section from um, Zenju's book, The Deepest Peace. And she'll be joining us next month to, um, to read to us and speak to us in person. We're excited about that. And I, I, she does such a beautiful job around this idea about, um, she speaks of rage and love and how they, um, alchemy of it. She says, 
Peace fades with the thought of a long gone memory of mistreatment and violence. The memory clashes with birdsong and sirens. Rage enters. Crows caw. I shake my head. Rage won't leave from where it lives, which is in the back of my mind, a place that holds great details. I don't quiet the rage for peace. Peace is not superior. Peace is persistent. Rage is persistent as well. I meditate while trembling with rage. It's difficult, but possible. I breathe for a long time in the midst of city sirens and those thoughts of pain and the violence I experienced firsthand. My head is tight. I haven't asked any questions, but from my own silence, there's a message. It says, rage is here because love is needed. Peace washes over me in the moment. Rage is asking me to consider love? Yes, perhaps begging me to do this. And then it will leave out the back door, which is the back of my mind. As I'm considering love, the morning sky gives way to a strong rain. I don't want to go inside, leave the expansive deck of my hilltop home, just as I don't want to wipe out rage and make space for a kind of vanilla love infused with artificial sweetener. But I can consider love grown and harvested from rage. Rage repeats itself like a heartbeat marking suffering accumulated over a lifetime. Is love present and knocking in a rageful way? The rain lightens up. I return to the deck outside. I look up at the dark clouds, full and unmistakably ready to burst again, and perhaps this time anoint my head, clear it, and blow prayers into it. The possibility of love coming through excites me. I am ready to moisten the dry spells of rage I have lived with most of my life. I look up at the sky and vow to learn how to call down rain. What a beautiful. <clears throat> writing. So that's my share for today. <laughs> I um, I really feel grateful for um, my suffering. And how much it's taught me. And how strong it's made me. And uh, for me personally, having um, kind of grown up in this community over the last 17 years, I am just very grateful. That in this time that, you know, 
I found a lot of jewels in there, you know, that are really um, such offerings right now for me and for so many others. So You know, whether our, our, our grief is frozen right now, whether we're numb, whether excited about spring, whether we feel hopeful or we feel despondent, you know, we can kind of steadfastly keep practicing, keep moving through the cycles, keep returning to each other, keep getting up and sweeping and making lunch and cleaning it up and enjoying the simplicity of our lives too, all the blessings. So. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.